The following content has been provided by RWTH Aachen University. And you might remember um, these 10 golden rules for interface design, and they are, of course, still valid also in, in mobile devices. And um, some of them actually might be different or differently to tackle um, compared to when you uh, write an application for your desktop computer, for example. So, for example, um, number four, provide feedback. Um, well, you can provide a lot of visual feedback in the desktop area, but as we said, in the mobile, um, in mobile devices, we have limited screen space. It's probably more trickier to actually give visual feedback, if at all. Um, or, let's say, number seven, design clear exits and close dialogues. Um, how do you have, what is your typical access point in a, in a Windows system or an application that is using a, a traditional Windows system in, in the, on the desktop? Well, you click on the close button in the, in the, on your window. And we've seen last week when we talked about Juice as one example for a cross-platform toolkit that tried to bring your code to the desktop, to your iPad, to your iPhone, stuff like this. Um, it's, it's fundamentally different on a mobile device because here we have something like a physical button, the home button, that provides a clear exit. So make use of that instead of providing multiple exits, for example, because we don't really need that. We, we don't, we don't want to waste screen real estate again and displaying that close button because we have that physical button there. And um, actually, um, that also goes along with um, be consistent and predictable, so make consistent use of that. Um, close button, for example. Um, <clears throat> eight and nine similar problems with screen real estate, so include help and documentation, offer shortcuts uh, for experts. Um, well, we have seen in the notes application there are some kind of a shortcuts for deleting messages, but um, they get hidden, and um, it's, it's pretty difficult for somebody who is not really into this application um, to know what is actually possible if that is all not visible. Okay, um, life as an app, um, and, and we are talking now a little bit more on, um, on the iOS platform. We will come to Android later on, so um, I hope that's somehow um, evenly balanced here in this lecture. Um, the iPhone is actually an app-centric environment, so um, you actually start with an application and not with a file if you, if you want to um, do something. And there is actually no visible file system in iOS, for example, unless you move over to iCloud Drive, which is like coming up right now. Um, but um, each application basically has its own environment that, that they live in. Um, and you also use one app per task. It's, it's not like that one app tries to squeeze all different things into one. Um, it's more like you have a small single app that is just intended for uh, finding out um, where trains uh, start and stop and at what times, for example. It's not like uh, trying to include route navigation, navigation system for cars as well and stuff like this, um, or chatting with people to get them together that you catch the same train, for example. It's really more like one app per task. And what is important is that this app basically, uh, you do one thing, but you'll do it really, really well. Um, so it's very 
cleaned down, um, very concise um, regarding to the task that you are uh, targeting at. And as I said, data is stored per app, so it lives in its own environment. You can hardly exchange um, between different applications. That's getting easier now, for example, with extensions. Um, but it's not like that you have a public folder where you can store all your files and then any other app can basically access that um, as, um, as another starting point. So if you create, for example, a file in Photoshop on iOS, it's not self-evident that you can open that file again easily on Pixelmator, for example, which is another graphics editor application. Yeah. So they all live in their own environment unless they use some kind of sharing mechanisms like iCloud, iCloud Drive, for example. Um, designing the UI is also very challenging um, compared to or, or has um, some differences compared to when you design applications and user interfaces for um, the desktop, for example. <clears throat> so it must be very obvious um, how to use your application because think about, again, the user is walking. Uh, it's more like um, an unfocused environment that you are in. It's, you don't really have the time to sit down and read a manual um, to go through how your application works. Yeah. Um, so um, make in, in, or try to strive for an intuitive use. Um, typically, you sort information from top to bottom and um, you, you focus on the primary content. And um, it's also important that you then still think about the areas that are actually easy to reach. So here is a, an example from a paper uh, from Backstrom et al. Uh, I think they presented that at CHI some years ago. Um, they basically investigated where I can actually easily reach a target on my smartphone with my thumb. Because when you have a one-handed use, you typically hold your smartphone like this, and um, your thumb is basically um, the kind of input uh, device that you are using here. And as I said, well, start or align information from uh, top to bottom. Uh, as you can see here, information that is available at the top is pretty hard to reach unless you start re-grasping your device, but that's not really what you want to do because think about you can drop your device or it's just more tedious to do that. So, for example, um, at the top, that's for example why you can put something like a status bar here, which is not really interactive, but it gives you some information like time, uh, battery status and stuff like this. Um, you don't really interact with the status bar. Um, and the easiest region is actually around here. So this is for a uh, right-handed person for a left-handed person um, it's it's um, it can be different again um, so <clears throat> interactive areas somewhere around here <clears throat> so that's for example the calculator as you can see here well the inspiration is probably taken from a, a, a real-world calculator but it really makes sense here um, that this is rather the display area whereas this here is the interaction area you can actually interact with that area here by swiping that's another hidden thing you can swipe to delete numbers, um, at least. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still available in the latest version, but in, in some of the calculator versions, maybe try it out. Uh, you can actually swipe to get rid of uh, single digits. Again, something that is hidden uh, that you don't know about. Um, what else? Uh, use um, or minimize the text input because you have a very small screen and um, reading on a small screen is difficult. Well, it got a little bit better with retina displays where everything is crisper. Um, but again, on a, 
to have a good reading experience, you probably increase the font size, but by increasing the font size, you have less space available for other stuff. So, for example, make use of meaningful visualizations. That's um, easier to grasp. Um, express information concisely, and also, what's very important, provide uh, finger size targets. Um, if you look at the mouse, the mouse is super precise, actually. It can be very pixel precise. It's like the cursor that looks like this here, and the pointer points at a specific pixel. Um, on the smartphone, if you want pixel precise interaction, that's pretty difficult, because if you look at your finger, uh, that's pretty fat compared to the mouse pointer. And that's actually called the fat finger problem. And that even changes with what kind of fingers you're using. Yeah, the thumb is even thicker than your, um, uh, your index finger, for example. So that's, for example, why Apple um, provides in their human interface guidelines a minimum target size that is recommended to use because otherwise it's very difficult to tap a certain target. And I bet you have come across these issues. Uh, if you have, for example, a website that is displayed on your smartphone and that's not responsive, so it's the entire website basically um, zoomed out, the targets become much smaller and then hitting a target precisely can be very tricky. Um, so let's have a look at the interaction design, which is also uh, drastically different from um, interacting with um, a, a desktop system. So here, obviously, we have multi-touch or touch in general as um, the interaction, and that is relatively new compared to years in research that has been over there um, to investigate on, on um, desktop platforms. Uh, and now we have even other input techniques that are coming here, like uh, force input and pressure, how about that? Um, I've seen, for example, in, in this year's uh, or this week's uh, WWDC, um, where Apple announced that they have an application for controlling your um, home environment. It's called like the, the Home app, which uses HomeKit. Uh, you can tap on a on a on a light source, so you can control light remotely, for example, with your tablet. You can tap and you can press and then you can drag to, to increase or decrease the dimming level. But think about it, when you tap your screen, you can probably easily swipe and drag around the screen, but when you press and then you have to drag, that's much more difficult because of the friction that increases. With the mouse, it's no problem. You press a button, you can still move the mouse as easy as if you would not press the button. Yeah? That's something uh, kind of different. Um, also, interaction patterns, have not really um, been established yet. Um, so how do you do a good drag and drop, for example, on a, on a touch screen? Um, because we have fewer states available. There is no like, way of how do you display information, like tooltips, for example. There is no hover mode on the touch screen. How are you going to do that? And um, yeah, of course, what Apple recommends for, their, uh, for implementing applications uh, for their platforms, follow their human interface guidelines. because. They have looked into these issues before and bring up recommendations on how to implement your application such that it will have a consistent look and feel and um, especially uh, will be um, or will benefit from a high usability. And we will see that when we move over later on to tvOS, again, there are some human interface guidelines and they are different from the mobile platform because it's a total different device, a total different experience. Uh, so. Um, just porting over the guidelines from the desktop to the mobile platform, that doesn't make sense at all. Um, 
yeah, if you use complex gestures, help the user. And here's some examples of gestures um, that have been more or less standardized by now. So uh, yeah, you can tap. Uh, dragging is something like, well, yeah, you um, touch and you stay in contact with the screen. Um, flicking is now basically dragging, but with acceleration included. So the faster you flick, um, the, the more content you scroll at a time. Um, swiping is more or less like um, add some kind of a constant rate, but uh, you, you, you drag, but immediately release, for example. Um, yeah, double tap or the famous uh, pinch gestures that you all probably know, pinch to, to zoom, basically. That's something that hasn't been there before and um, that has been researched or just has been made up and people basically accepted that. So there are studies, for example, on, um, they're called guessability studies. So what you do basically is you present a certain starting point. Let's say you have an image that is at some position on your screen and then you show the end result. So the image is at another position on your screen. And then you ask the user, how do you think you can get from state A to state B? And they then show you a gesture and they basically look into what is like the most commonly discovered gesture that people used. Uh, but as you, as you will know, there are a lot of differences between them. So there's no like standard common way to do this at some point uh, things are standardized and people basically learn these gestures and get used to them. And then they expect them on um, also different devices that use the same input technique. Uh, touch and hold, for example. Um, so that is, for example, based on a timeout uh, where you can enter in an editable mode, for example, or display a magnified view, for example. Um, yeah, and I think in as of iOS 9 with force tap, you can now also like press down on your keyboard and then you can move a cursor freely around in your text, for example, uh, which is a little bit difficult um, in, in, uh, in classic um, text, uh, text uh, editing on, on a touchscreen because often what you will notice, um, the keyboard is kind of limited. It doesn't have traditional cursor keys, for example, where you can move um, character-wise, for example, because we have a limited screen real estate and displaying an entire giant keyboard with numpad and, and all uh, function keys and stuff like this that probably doesn't fit on your screen and will not be usable anymore. Uh, um, so um, that is, for example, one way how this is tackled now by using pressure as a different mode basically to enter that. But as I said, pressure, applying pressure and dragging, that's kind of difficult. It's not that easy. Especially holding a certain pressure level is not that easy for a human as well. Um, yeah, designing the user interface. Um, so here are some other challenges and that, that haven't been there before when the iPhone, for example, started. It was just the iPhone. Um, and um, at the beginning, you couldn't even write applications for the iPhone. But um, as that was open, basically, there was just uh, one screen of a certain aspect ratio with a certain resolution, 480 by uh, 320 pixels. Um, so the benefit of this is if you write an application, you can basically make use of an absolute coordinate system and you can expect that your application will look exactly the same, will be layouted exactly the same on every single device because they actually have all the same resolution and aspect ratio. But then of course, you know, well, Apple introduced, for example, retina displays where they double the pixel um, and um, so you have a higher resolution here. 
um, or then also different screen sizes that have been introduced. So for example, with the iPhone, um, iPhone 5, um, we have 4-inch, uh, we have the iPhone um, 6, iPhone 6S, and iPhone 6S Plus, I think that is, how, how many inches? 5, 5.5 inches, something like this? Yeah, 5.5, and I think the iPhone 6 is 4.7 inches or something like this. So different screen sizes, also different aspect ratios. Um, and um, then, of course, when in, in 2010 the first iPad was introduced, we even have a bigger screen now. Um, and um, so we have um, increased resolutions here and also different aspect ratios. So these are almost like 4 to 3, whereas I think the iPhone 6 is about... Uh, 16 to 10, um, or close to 16 to 10, 16 to 9. Um, so complete different aspect ratios, and that, of course, brings the issue of if you implement an application um, and you want to make it available on all these different devices, how do you lay out it well enough so that it displays uh, well enough on, on every device? And as you will notice, um, on the iPad, for example, an interface looks somehow, again, different than from on a mobile device because you have more screen real estate, still not as much screen real estate as on a, on a desktop system, um, at least um, if you take into consideration the fingertip size. Uh, if you look here, for example, uh, 1920 times 1080 pixels compared to a desktop monitor, that's pretty much the same, right? So they're increasing now into 4K displays, but pixel-wise, you have like almost the same, uh, the same amount of pixels that you can use. But of course, the screen, small, uh, the screen size is much smaller and your fingertip is bigger than a mouse cursor. So you can actually display as many items as you would be able to, um, or, or interactive items that you would be able to um, present on a desktop. Also, the aspect ratio already changes, for example, with different uh, differences in portrait and landscape. Yeah? If you rotate your device, uh, you know that your um, user interface is going to, or has to adapt basically, unless it's a static one. Here's an example of how different an interface can look like on different devices on different platforms. So here we have Apple Mail. That is um, the version that is shown on the desktop computer, so on OS X, uh, where we can see, well, we have a clearly designed uh, toolbar here. We have, yeah, our window. Uh, title bar with close buttons and, and a title. Uh, and then we have um, a view right here on the left-hand side where we basically can scroll through our messages. And then we have a detailed look into our messages and these are actually composed into a conversation. A lot of space, a lot of information that we can actually display. Now on the iPhone, that's not possible. Screen is just too small. So here, we can do actually the same things, but we navigate between different views and not all information is visible at the same time. Uh, so first of all, I can look into my overview of messages that is basically the equivalent to just this part here of the interface. Um, and then I can look into a single message and I can yeah, probably scroll down, but then to edit the message or to write another message, I get a new, um, a new view. If I write a message on the desktop computer, what's going to happen typically? So I can click somewhere here to compose a new message. What will happen? A new window yeah, a new window pops up. And this content is still there, right? I can just move that window over here and I can still have a look at that content. So I might, for example, need to refer to some 
um, some things that have been mentioned in that conversation. That's not so easy because I cannot look that up here because that information is at that time not visible to me. Um, now this one here is I think the iPhone 6S Plus which has uh, as we said 5.5 inches. Uh, so it's a little bit bigger than a, um, a traditional iPhone and um, here we are actually using that now in, in landscape mode and you can see now it tries to mimic at least a similar layout as we know that from the desktop because we have some more uh, space available. So uh, it splits it up basically I think in one third and two thirds. So here we have our list of messages and then here we have our um, inspection um, into um, a conversation. But still as you will notice um, there is no like toolbar, there's no, not, nothing like saying okay we have so many messages opened or received or unread. That's all not here. Yeah? So additional information not available at that screen at least. And then if you look on the iPad, um, on the iPad we have a lot more information available, everything is bigger basically um, and um, yeah we even now here have something like a toolbar that we can use um, so because there is now more um, screen real estate available. Okay, um, some further design guidelines uh, for applications on a mobile platform. As we said in the beginning, we have to deal with limited resources. So that's, for example, memory, but that's also the processing power, for example. And um, one way um, to strive for is, of course, to still provide a good responsive user interface. Yeah. And um, one way of doing that is that, um, well, apps should start quickly to provide a fluid user experience. And what you basically can do is, for example, you show a lounge image that closely resembles the first screen of your application. It's a static image. Yeah? While, that is, while you're launching your app, you're showing that static image. And in the background, everything is set up. So uh, your zip file is deserialized and um, widgets are um, instantiated, for example. Um, but it gives at least the user the impression that something is already there and it's a responsive user interface. Yeah. Of course, when you have very dynamic content that is shown at the first screen, and that will often happen because your applications, they visualize data from the web and that data changes over time, it will not be exactly the same. Um, but um, that is at least something that gives you a closer connection or a higher responsiveness, at least perceived responsiveness. Um, and um, yeah, here are some further recommendations. Restore the, the state of, of uh, last run. Um, that's something um, that is coming now to the desktop platforms as well. So when you close an application and you open it up again, it, it somehow restores to the state that was there before. But um, actually on the desktop system, it was like you close your application and then you launch it again and then you have to open a file, the file that you've worked on the last time. This content was provided by RWTH, Aachen University.